we are so thankful to have access right now, this moment, through thy Holy Spirit on the basis of the blood of Jesus and what he has done into thy throne room, to the Holy of Holies, that Jesus Christ is now at thy side in heaven, dear Father. He who is a man just like us, but also the Son of God. And dear Father, we are so thankful for that, that revealed salvation. We pray that each one here would treasure it. They would treasure it in their thoughts and in their actions and in their reading and meditating on thy word. So dear Father, we pray that that would also happen now, this afternoon hour, as we'd open thy word, that thou wouldst be treasured, thou wouldst be lifted up. Dear Father, we pray for those that couldn't be here. We pray for our, our brotherhood as a whole. Dear Father, we pray that thou wouldst kindle the flame where it needs to be kindled, that thou wouldst bring us to repentance and uh, humility, dear Father, where we need to be brought to that position again to experience more of thy grace and a closer walk with thee. We pray that the seeking souls would see this and that they would desire to also to join us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to continue uh, with the Lord's help in 2 Corinthians. Or as we're going through, we are now in chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians 7. I'd like to start with the second verse, having meditated on the on the first verse as a part of the previous chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Receive us. We have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. <clears throat> For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. 
Therefore we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we speak all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. I've read to the end of chapter 7. May God bless the reading of his word. Verse 2, receive us, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. Seems like he is going back to that um, plea he had in the last chapter, middle of the last chapter, where, verse 11, where he said, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open to you, our heart is enlarged. And he's, he's basically declaring his love for them, and he's coming back now to the, after talking about the separation between the church and the world, coming back to the same topic, which is indeed, as, as we've said a number of times, one of the main themes of this letter, which is his, um, his struggle with them over their reception of him, how they're not receiving him fully as an apostle. They're, they're giving him a hard time about, about uh, his apostleship, that he's not like they want him to be. And it's really good to see in this chapter from, from the uh, initial... Um, words he used that there was a positive response there. If you read this chapter, as we've read, there was repentance. There was a, there was a turning around in that church. There was a reception. I don't think he thought uh, that it was complete. If you keep reading the rest of the epistle, verse, chapters 10, 11, 12, so forth, he comes back to this theme. He really, he really um, I think he realized that there were still pockets there, or there was still some resistance, but he is um, encouraging them now and, and identifying some positive things that, that God has been working in them by this repentance. And really, if you, if you, if you kind of look at the, the, this letter so far, all the chapters we've read, it's, he's really coming back to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is, is, is if you flip back with me, uh, to chapter 2, he was talking about going into Macedonia there in, in verse 13. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. And then he seems to stop abruptly and then say, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And then he spends the next four, five, six chapters on a topic that or t different topics that, to me, you know, as I was reading through this letter, is trying to, to figure out, well, where is he going? It seems like he, he has, has, has made a great kind of a digression here. And I think it's all for the purpose, the, the main purpose that he's writing this letter, that we said the theme is, is, is the, uh, the, the church there giving him a hard time pushing back on his apostleship. And really, the, these following chapters, chapter 3, 4, and 5, and 6, is really an expounding on this triumph in Christ. It's really, if you kind of look at those chapters in sequence, look at the different topics he explores, 
it's really he's demonstrating this triumphal procession in Christ and how he's part of it, how his apostleship is part of it. He's giving them his, his um, you know, you want to really know what I'm about? You're giving me a hard time. You want to know what I'm about? This is what I'm about. And permit me just to do a, a recap, go through these chapters kind of to see because the chapter 7 is basically coming back to where he stopped in chapter 2. It takes a big uh, a, a digression a wonderful digression with so much rich scripture in it, but it's a big digression to come back to the point of where he stopped in chapter 2. So this triumph in Christ. Chapter 3, if you remember, he talks about the New Testament and how much more glorious it was than the Old Testament. He talks about the, that, mo- that mountain that, was, uh, um, that Moses went up to receive the law, right? And, and, how, much, and how his face shone with the glory. And he couldn't, and the, the children of Israel couldn't look on his face because it was uh, uh, so bright. And he had to put a veil over his face. And he says, you know, they still, the, the, the children of the Old Testament still have that veil in their heart. But now we've, we've had it taken away. We see Jesus clearly. The ministration of the Spirit is so much more glorious than the Old Testament. He says, this triumphal procession in Christ, it's a spiritual procession. It is so much more glorious than that of the Old Testament, um, the promises they had. And then chapter 4, he says, well kind of counter that yes it's a spiritual possession but it's lived in this flesh in these earthen vessels that that we are suffering as the ministers of Christ um, as a demonstration of the triumph of the spirit that's chapter four he's saying this this triumphal procession is is uh, it's it, it leads us through suffering persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed etc that, that, that this glory, that the power, the excellency can be of, of Christ and not of us. And then he says, this, this, where this triumphal procession is leading, chapter 5, is to heaven. We know that if our earthly tabernacle of this, this house is dissolved, we have a building of God built in the heavens. We're made for heaven. That's where this destination is going. And, and, uh, and that's what we labor for. And in the latter half of chapter 6, he says... This triumphal procession, you're invited to, enjoy, to, to join it, too. This ministry of reconciliation that we have been entrusted, that we, we need to invite other people to come along on this destination, this journey to heaven. And then Paul gives, in chapter 6 here, some of his credentials as a minister of God. He says, this is how we're approved. Gives his resume, as it were, and tells them, you've got to be careful which procession you're in. Are you in Christ's procession? procession or are you in the worlds and there's a clear separation between them and that's where he then kind of comes back now to this hole where he stopped in chapter 2 where he was going into Macedonia in a state of fear in a state of uncertainty in a state of trouble on every side and why was that it doesn't say clearly here in in scripture but if you piece things together i think i mentioned this when we were meditating on chapter two there was a at least a third or or a letter in between first corinthians and second corinthians if you read the 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 references that those two letters make there was a, a letter that people people often call the severe letter and it's referred to in here that 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 he wrote them in much tears and anguish in chapter two I think a big part of Paul's fear and trouble was wondering about the reception of this severe letter. How are the Corinthians going to take this? It was a strongly worded letter. It, 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 um, 
the results, their response is recorded in this chapter. That that's what Paul's so re rejoicing so much, why he's so comforted, the other theme of this letter. But it was a severe letter, and I'm sure it must have been, you know, when he got to Troas, he couldn't preach the gospel there. It was weighing so much on his mind, he went from there into Macedonia to look for Titus, because he'd sent Titus to Corinth with that severe letter. And Titus was now going to come back to him and tell him how the Corinthians had received the letter. And that must have been a real trial for him. To think, are they going to stay under the sway of these false apostles? Are they going to react continue to, to reject is all of the work. I, I don't think Paul was, was thinking about his own work, so much concerned about that as he was for the care and the love of those people there. I think that's what really drove him and motivated him. Not that, oh, well, well I'm going to have to start a church there again. I don't think that was it at all. I think it was he loved these people deeply. And 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 end of this letter, he says, the more I love you, the less I be loved. He really poured out his heart to them to get them to turn around. And, and uh, you can see that, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. He's glad of the, of the response they had, though I did repent. I think he must have had those moments before he heard what the response was. He thought to himself, did I, did I write that too strongly? Was it, I'm sure he, he listened and heeded to the Spirit of God as he did those things, but we all have those moments of temptation, of, of doubt, of how is it going to be received? How is the other per They have a free will too, that other person. I can't constrain them. I can't force them. And really what he was desiring all along in this church was repentance, was a change of heart, was a change of mind. And that's really the main topic of this chapter now in verse in chapter 7 there must have been something he doesn't spell it out and I think he does does not spell it out because he's gracious he doesn't bring up the particulars again but there must have been some incident in verse 12 here he says wherefore though I wrote unto you this is the severe letter he's referring to I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. There must have been some incident likely related to Paul's apostleship where people were, came into Corinth and maybe said some things about Paul or, or, or denigrated him or, or cast aspersions on him, and uh, this was not resolved or it was not, um, they didn't stand up for Paul. They didn't, um, they, they had doubts about him and who he was. And some incident maybe came out of that, because it talks about two parties here, right? He that had done the wrong, nor for his that had suffered the wrong. I'm not sure, I'm speculating here. But it, I, it also involved Paul. You read that in chapter 2, and you read it here in, in chapter 7. Paul had a stake in this too. There was some of his forgiveness that had to be extended, had to be exercised here too. And I think it's related to the theme of this letter. And they needed to repent of this. Whether it involved some worldliness, chapter 6, whether it involved some um, not accepting his sufferings, his message of the cross, chapter 5, living a comfortable life, I don't know. There's a lot, it could be a lot of things, but there had to be some repentance. And, and it's worth looking at here a little bit, and maybe we'll spend some more time on it in, 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 in a future message. But the nature of repentance, what it does, what it is, I think there, there's some 
worthwhile not only, you know, th this is a topic that we think, we can either think, yes, it applies just to the unconverted, doesn't really have much to do with me as a, now as a, as, a, as a follower of Christ, or you could read this and say, well, this is just for other people. But that's not true. He's talking to believers. He's talking to a group of believers that had become, that had strayed from the path, that needed to repent, needed to think about what they had, that, that they were doing. And it started for them with sorrow. Why would it start with sorrow? For though I made you sorry with a letter, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Sorrow is an emotion, right? Typically we talk about sorrow being an emotion, but the way that Paul writes about it here, it's so much more than just a temporary emotion, just feeling sorry for something. You know, he talks about a contrast. He says there's a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. And I think the worldly sorrow, it can be more than an emotion too. It can get you into a, a spiral of a, a, a depression and a, a desperation and of feeling sorry for yourself. But I think these things maybe start from an emotion in that moment when we first realize what we've done, the impact of what we've done, how far we've strayed. And that causes some emotions, but those emotions are productive emotions. They work out something. They, they cause us to do something. Look at all the things here. Verse 11, you know, you sorrowed after a godly sword. And what, what, it, what happened? Carefulness, clearing of yourselves, indignation. Each one of these things we, we should think about and meditate on. There was an emotion there of, of you know, when, you, when you've realized what you've done maybe to someone, you realized how much you've hurt them? You know, that's predicated actually on some care, that you actually care what the other person, about the other person that you've done something to. And that in it itself, that's the start. That's, a, that's an indication of something good working in you. My friend outside of Christ, when you start to sorrow for sin, not um, just a, a penalty, you know, I got caught and, and, and now I feel bad for myself, but genuine sorrow as, as you realize the weight of the sin, what it did, as we read this morning, in terms of Christ, what he had to do because of my sin. When the sorrow starts from that, a realization that there was a cost here, that I caused something here, that I was, my choices did something, that's the start. Of, there's emotion there, but there's something that goes beyond emotion and pushes you towards something, towards repentance, towards actually starting to think about, well, maybe what I've been doing and the way I've been doing it has been wrong all along. The way I've been thinking about myself, the way I've been approaching life, the way I've been making my choices about what I do every day or the big choices or the little choices, maybe that's been wrong all along. Maybe I need to think about things in a different way. Now, that sounds kind of, um, that's good. That's, that's, that's the start. But that's not where the, the Corinthian church stayed. Look at these words. Indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, revenge. It lit a fire in them. It wasn't just a, hmm, you know, a kind of contemplative, uh, oh, I, I, you know, yeah, maybe my life didn't turn out the way I wanted. There was a turning and an and, and a, and a inspiration 
that moved as a spiritual inspiration as a result of this. And I think um, that's the way it is in coming to God, too, and repenting, that it moves. It's not just a, I'm going to think myself into the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to, to um, you know, have some reasoned uh, um, introspection. No, there's a fire that is lit in repentance, in godly sorrow and repentance that, that moves us the Spirit of God working in us and moving us to say, you know what, what I did before, it needs to be, I need to address it as much as I can. I need to go back to those people. I need to make up for lost time, that time that was wasted when I was doing stuff that now I'm ashamed to even think about and talk about. I need to, to fill my time with things that are productive and good for God's kingdom. That's the revenge part, the zeal, the fear. Now this, 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 now that I'm assured of of, of God accepting me in Christ, I don't want to damage that. I don't want to, 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 to um, do anything to that that will, will hinder that or will stifle that. That's the fear I think he's talking about here. And I, I remember that distinctly, that emotion and that thought, that state of being when I was newly converted and, and thinking how different that was than my old life of struggling, failing, struggling, failing, being miserable, being more miserable. Now to a state of, of acceptance and, and knowing I'm accepted in Christ and not wanting to lose that, not wanting to be moved out of that or, or to let that go. That's what he's talking about here in godly repentance, indignation. Almost, I'm almost mad at myself for the way things were. Now, the sorrow of this world is the toxic kind of, the woe is me. The, the sorrow that doesn't do anything, that doesn't, get, that doesn't produce anything good. It's the, I feel so uh, bad for myself, and just kind of continues in that spiral of, oh, and then this went wrong again, and oh, and then this, and, and continually looking at the negative and not looking to Christ, not receiving that comfort. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. You know, when... when I'm sure, now that, that's the reason, you know, they didn't just, Paul didn't just drop these letters in the post, in the, in the maybe they didn't have it in those days, in the, in the post office box and then got to them and they read it. It was sent by the hand of a trusted co-worker, Titus, sent by someone, and First Corinthians was sent by Timothy, I believe. Just so that, as this letter was read and those initial reactions and, and the discussions and how should we respond and what should we do, there was spiritual guidance there. Titus could offer some, and he could, I'm sure, he was a source of comfort to them as they realized this and they responded, and he encouraged that response in them to go on that path, and they received comfort in that repentance. It wasn't just a, oh, we realized what what wrong we did to Paul. Is he going to accept us again? I think Titus was there to reassure them when their hearts changed, when their hearts turned back to Paul. And it's the same way today. We don't just give you a Bible, pat you on the back, and tell you, go, repent, and when you're ready, come back. The scriptural mode of sharing the gospel, of, of making disciples, is to, to share the word with people and to encourage them in it, to comfort them in it, to sh- show them as they're responding, as they're making the right response, this is good, God loves you, he has a plan for you, he has hope for you. My friend, outside of Christ, that comfort is available as you turn to the Lord. You don't need to um, have this uh, penitential 
in the sense of wrong kind of, you know, in the Middle Ages, they would lash themselves. They would do something to the, their bodies to, to kind of punish themselves, to make themselves uh, uh, feel that they were worthy enough. That's not godly repentance. That's not seeking after the Lord. Verse 11 here is what godly repentance is. It takes some time to think about it, to meditate on it, to, to allow God to light that fire within you. And it's, it's wonderful to see Paul's response. You know, like someone has, has said that the Corinthian church would probably gave Paul the most trouble, probably of any of those churches that we, that we know of. But you see the nature of the love, the response of love that pours out. How he says, it's in our hearts to, to live and to die with you. And those weren't empty words. That wasn't just an expression he had, a, you know, he really meant it. He showed it by his example. And that's the example for you and me too, my friend, my brother, and my sister. That kind of love that you respond to those that give you a hard time, that, that push back, that, that don't accept the, the, the message of the gospel that, that you are trying to bring, it's to respond in love. And that's what Paul does. And he, he, he's going to come back to it, as we said. He's gonna, he goes to another topic in chapters 8 and 9 about giving. But he's going to come back and he's going to have some very strong words. He doesn't uh, just um, cover things over. But he does encourage them. He takes that time to, to say, I really am comforted by the response I already hear from Titus of what, how you received my letter. May we take that to heart. May we... Um, abound in this in our lives. And I think, brother and sister, you and I need to do a lot more repenting than we sometimes think of. We need to do a lot more of uh, availing ourselves, of, of, of examining ourselves when we get off the track. It's, it's not just... It's not just enough sometimes to, to kind of realize, yeah, I think I'm off here, and like we said this morning, cold or lukewarm or, or whatever, and I'm just going to kind of sidle my way back into the right way. I think there needs to be an active repentance, an active seeking of God's will, an active humbling of myself, and fulfilling this, this verse 11 here, to experience again that, that, that fire and that, that desire that comes from the Lord. May he bless uh, the word that we've read, meditated on. May he cause us to um, be fruitful, to bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Brother, please find a hymn. It has been said that repent is the first word of the gospel. You think about John the Baptist, his message, repent for the kingdom of hand is, heaven is at hand. Then Jesus, his first words too, repent, the same thing. Think about Peter at his Pentecost sermon, the the, the the take-home message from that sermon, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Everyone needs to repent. Why? Because everyone, by nature, is not connected with God, doesn't live with God, live in Him, and needs to change. There needs to be that change. Repentance is a must for everyone. And brother and sister, it's a must for, for us too. When we get off, when we uh, 
start thinking the way that we ought not, living the way that we ought not, repentance is necessary. That's the first word again that we need to come back to, to get in that triumphal procession again with Christ as our leader and as our head. Starts by repenting, coming back. May the Lord bless each one of us, help us this week to repent where we need to, to to have that proper godly sorrow, and then to receive that comfort as needed from his hand as we look to him. In his name, we conclude this service.